the other's gang two sisters both curious and strange a likely duo and they witty from the brain it's the magic hour mercedes and jay greetings boys and babes it's the magic hour a place where we navigate through life's peaks and valleys with all the vulnerability and shamelessness we can muster with the help of world-class guests from all walks of life we uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential I'm your host, Mercedes Terrell, along with my partner in Shine, Jade Bryce. Hey, you guys. Today we have on an expert in human design. It's been all the hype lately, and I recently had a session with who we're having on today and asked him to come on the show to share how this experiment can be of use to you guys as well. Yes. And I know I'm what's called a projector. And Jade, I know that you're what's called a generator. And Mm -hmm. all of you listening, if you don't know what I'm talking about, You can quickly, as you're listening right now, just type into your browser, what is my human design? And then it'll give you a few options there. Click on the option for getting your free chart. And then all you got to do is enter your birth date, time and place. And you'll find out right away what type you are, what type of human design you are. And then uh, you can listen and learn along with us uh, about what all this means. Yes. And just make sure that you're certain on your birth time, because for two years, I thought I was a projector and was only paying attention to (laughs) projector information. And then I found out I entered the wrong time and it turns out I'm a generator. And I literally just found that out like two months ago that I'm a generator. So, um, but yeah, so make sure you know your birth, your birth (laughs) time for sure. That makes a huge difference for sure. Yeah. Also, we recently had on Richard Rudd who wrote Gene Keys. Some people feel more called to gene keys and other people feel more called to human design, but the breath of God is limitless. And these are just tools. These are both different translations of the breath of God, which is infinite. So whichever one you feel called to, uh, you know, is meant for you. And if you haven't listened to gene keys, I think you'll really enjoy that episode. It's just about a month back. Mm, the, the breath, wait, the breath of God or the breadth of God, like the width. I say breath. Oh, it could go either way. Oh, it's so poetic. <laughs> so yes, guys, these tools are for remembrance. So it's about remembering who you came here to be. And your human design gives you kind of a firmer foundation of who you are, uh, can kind of help to set you off in a direction, which is how it's played in my life so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and just guide you to who you are here to help as well. And I want to note here that what this isn't, what human design isn't, is a rigid dogma. Um, and instead it's really something to dance with and experiment with. Um, so pull up your charts if you have them and let's dive in Jade. Yes. Our guest today has over two decades of astrological study and full immersion in the human design system. He has a consulting practice called metamorphic human design, where he meets the needs of his clients wishing to experiment with this knowledge as the unique individual that they are, knowing that they are in fact the expert on their own life. His role is to share the system in a practical and straightforward way, initiating others into a deeper relationship with their true self and inner authority. He also worked with La Familia Ayahuasca for four years, helping others use human design and integration. Through his work, we learn that our energy works in surprising ways and that our charts can say so much about the impact we can make on the world. Please help us welcome John Cole to the Magic Hour. Yeah. Hey, John. Hey. (laughs) 
Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're so so excited. Yeah, this is going to be really cool. This whole human design system has been something both Jade and I have been digging into recently and beautiful stuff has been coming from it. So I'm glad to be able to share it with our listeners. Oh, good. Yeah. Should be a lot of fun. Yeah. So the, the first thing I want to dive into with you is really why you were drawn to human design and called to work with it in the first place. If you could give them, give us some highlights of your story. Sure. Well, human design kind of fell into my lap. Uh, I'd been studying astrology for quite a, I guess, probably about 20 years before I found human design. And an astrologer friend of mine invited me to look at it, kind of just tossed it over to me. And uh, my first impression was, oh, no, not another system. You know, I'd been (laughs) kind of immersed in several different systems of astrology. And this one seemed really kind of weird and complex. It's pulling in like the the chakra centers. Um, You know, it had this whole body graph that I'd never seen before, the I Ching. And I think it was, you know, when I just started reading what it meant to be a projector, which is my work type, that it just really hit me. And it, it ended up kind of being a like a missing link uh, or a puzzle piece for for some things that I had been really trying to work out in my own life and trying to understand certain experiences that I had had that are kind of different than a lot of what other people were experiencing. And the more I read about what it meant to be a projector, it just started kind of clicking. And it, you know, I was looking back, reviewing a lot of uh, you know my previous years, and uh, yeah, it just started making sense. And then that was kind of enough inspiration to go deeper and start kind of trying to understand what the system was, which is kind of a projector thing to do. And uh, I had been meeting with clients using astrology and I'd been kind of, you know, I found a lot of value and, and, and worth working with astrology over the years, but there was like something missing. I felt like there was something that I couldn't quite get traction with, with the, with the people I was working with and human design kind of, filled that that place for me. And over time, as I started going deeper into the system, I realized that uh, that was really what I wanted to do more of. I wanted to really work with human design in that context. And uh, and then it's just kind of, you know, it took on a life of its own. And this is like six years later, and mm-hmm. I, I'm still studying, still working with people and still exploring the system and, you know, trying to make sense of it in my life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. What a, I mean, I, I wonder, you know, especially I'm, I'm a projector as well. So I wonder this, this idea of coming to systems because I mean, I know for me, I am constantly uh, like over, over looking for systems. Like I'm always trying to look at the next system. Okay. How does this make, you know, make sense to me and how can I use this to, to figure people out and figure myself out? Uh, is that something that, is part of being a projector? I think so. I think, you know, one of the things that's talked about in human design when it comes to projectors is that we're really here to, to share our awareness. We're not really here to, to kind of orient to the world in terms of what we're creating, producing, what we're generating. That's, that's mm. more correct for two thirds of the population, which are mm. the generators who have that energy. So projectors, uh, and you could say that we have inconsistent access to that type of energy to produce, work, create. And instead, it's almost like we're, we're kind of positioned to, to share our awareness in our understanding of mastering a certain system or a field of expertise 
as a way of kind of coaching or guiding others. Um, the projector orientation is very much on the other person. Um, and that kind of is the fundamental projector question is, is who is the other? Mm. Where for generators, it's, it's who am I? Who am I for myself? Mm. And so, well, yeah. Let's go into what human design is and what the types are before we get too much into that. That way everyone... Yeah, the basics. Uh, yeah, everyone kind of more... Because I bet a lot of people listening have just scratched the surface. Yeah. So w- maybe you could uh, talk about it in a way, like almost like a, a way as if people are just hearing about it for the first time. Sure. Uh, you know, so it, it is a... You could say it's an astrological related system in that it's it's forming a birth chart that's, that's based on the time, place, uh, and date of birth. And so it's really describing this kind of planetary imprint. So you could kind of introduce it as something like astrology. But once you kind of get past that point, it's a very different system than astrology. And I think one of the things that human design really emphasizes is uh, how unique each of us are. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the taglines of human design is the science of differentiation, Mm -hmm. just showing us a map of how how varied, how unique each one of us are. And and so I think you can see some of that in astrology. But the thing that really sets human design apart, I think, is it's it's focus on form consciousness. Human design has a secondary set of planetary positions. It's like a secondary chart within the body graph, the the birth chart. So there's really like two uh, points in time. And if you're looking at a body graph, if you've seen it, uh, the the positions of the planets that are in black are going to be, you know, they're based on the time and, and date that you were born, your birth date. Going three months back, you know, to the beginning of the third trimester of the pregnancy, you get the imprint of the form, which is showing you the characteristics that your body is carrying. And so much of human design is about kind of looking at the whole person between mind and body and then directing us back to our form consciousness, the the innate intelligence or truth within ourselves, with which is really anchored in our bodies. And so um, that's so kind of a spirit is another word for it. Soul or spirit is what we're it's leading. Right. Okay. I think you would look to like the the personality or the the black activations for the the part of us that comes in and kind of inhabits the the body, the form. It's it's the awareness that drops in, um, which we would probably associate with you know spirit. I think, okay. and so yeah, it's that's kind of the quick quick overview of it. Yeah. So uh, it does have these different. I know we're going to go into the different sections of when you're looking at your own design chart. And by the way, before you came on, John, we asked our audience to go grab their human design chart and so they could have something in front of them to be looking at because otherwise we're just talking. They have no idea what we're talking about here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess, um, well, Jade, let's go ahead and and move in on on the different types here. Yeah, let's talk about the different types. And um, I know Mercedes is a projector, like we mentioned. I'm a generator. Um, the one that doesn't often get mentioned is the reflector, since I think they're only like one percent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met one yesterday, so um, so yeah. Let's go into the types, since everyone listening, if you know, they may be one type, but they're probably living with another type. So it benefits us to hear about them all. So yeah, yeah, that, that's true. I mean, we're we're going to have some exposure to to all the different auric types or energetic types. And, and like you said, the reflector is pretty rare. That's the one that's about 1% of the population. Mm-hmm. 
And so when we, when we talk about type in human design, it's a little bit different than other typing systems like Myers-Briggs or these type of personality typing systems. Even astrology, if it's kind of based on the personality, it's, it's describing more that what we would be consciously aware of. But when we talk about type in human design, we're talking about our, our bioenergetic field, that how our energy works. It's, it's basically set into a certain pattern. And that's what we mean by, by type. So you have, for example, two thirds of the population, which is of this type called generator. And then there's a subtype of manifesting generator. And, and that's, that's kind of a aura, a, a bioenergetic field that's this enveloping, radiating, um, energetic field that's designed to kind of pull life to it. It's, it's very magnetic. It's receptive and it's designed to, to interface with, uh, with life as it's happening and kind of pull, pull things into it. Where if you go to, to my type as a projector, we're about 20% of the population. So one in five people, and it's a very different type of aura. It's, it's also receptive and absorbing, but it's very focused and penetrating. Projectors tend to, to really do best when they have something to put their attention on. Like, what is the focus? So you see like projectors more comfortable in one-to-one -one interactions than like dealing with a group where it's hard to find the focus. Um, and as I mentioned before, each type kind of has a uh, kind of a fundamental question. You know, the fundamental question for the generator is, is who am I? And, and what kind of comes with that is how am I using my energy for myself? Where the projectors will tend to to really focus on the other, who is the other? And I'll learn about myself through this, through these relationships. Mm -hmm. So you can see projectors who become very uh, either focused or kind of going really deep into relationships. And then there's of course, 10% of the population, roughly this type called manifester and manifestors are, are those who uh, are really here to initiate things, start things to kind of, to catalyze, um, a new process or to kick something off. And the, the manifestor aura is kind of designed to be, I would say, in, independent in a way, to not be influenced very easy, not to be interfered with. And, and that kind of allows them to, to kind of move through the world in a way that they can really um, act on their vision without interference. And so that it's sometimes said that the the manifestor aura is kind of repelling, which kind of sounds negative. Yeah, I read that. It's, it's like moving stuff out of the way. It's like hmm. you know, it's with the manifestor. It's kind of like, you know, get with the program or move out of the way. And, um, and I was reading, too, that they're like the most likely to be the ones conditioned by their parents because you're like trying to to change them from being that. Uh, right. Uh, mm. Abrasive or uh, whatever the word would be. Well, they're, they're not meant to be controlled. I mean, right. you know, the, the generator and projector types are a lot more interactive. We're, mm -hmm. we're you know, that's not to say that gener uh, manifestors aren't interactive, but mm -hmm. relatively speaking, um, it's really for a manifestor to kind of have their own program, their own, um, depending on what their authority is and what their design is mm -hmm. to kind of move through the world in an independent way. And I think with kids, you know, with, with what we normally think of as, as parenting, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of control in place. Like you should do this, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And um, knowing and their so, design types is really helpful because it helps you allow them to be who they're actually meant to be. 
Exactly. And I feel like that's one of the biggest gifts of human design is, you know, being able to raise our kids um, according to their design and support them in who they actually are, as opposed to like kind of putting our whatever our trip is uh, on them, which, you know, in human design is kind of looked at as conditioning or homogenization, where there's like this kind of blanket approach to things and everyone needs to follow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of my life I've spent attempting to be a manifester before knowing anything about human design and really pushing. And that would be definitely the word I would use. I was like literally pushing, you know, all the boulders in my life uphill, like just mm-hmm. struggling to, to make things happen. And the, the most beautiful thing that human design has brought to my life so far is knowing my strategy of wait for the invitation, because I could see in my interactions with people that my aura was too penetrating if it wasn't invited. And if I didn't wait for that invitation, it was repelling. Like people did not want to be around my overtness. So that has been huge for me. So if someone else is listening and they find out, you know, I'm a projector and maybe they've had that similar experience of feeling like they're too much. I think that's really a lot of what it felt like for me. And I think relax a little and not not having to manifest it all. And I think the reason why like my three closest girlfriends are projectors is because I do love to get advice. And so I'm like an open invite to them, you know, because their whole thing is like waiting for the invite. And so it's like... uh, You ask for it a lot too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why I get along with projectors so well. (laughs) Yeah. And and you're you're both bringing up an interesting point with this, what's called strategy in in human design, because that goes right along with, with type. So strategy comes from your auric type generators who are the the creators, builders, producers, maintainers of the world, uh, their strategy is to wait to respond, which means with with their receptive magnetic generator aura that's designed to pull life to them, everything's going to work best. They're going to find the most satisfaction, the least resistance, you know, the most flow when they have something to respond to, something specific that their body can kind of you know, resonate with or, or, or meet, engage with in a certain way that feels good to the generator in terms of how they're engaging with life. And so it's kind of like what you were saying, Mercedes, where if we're all in this like constant manifestation, push, push, push mode, it really kind of takes us out of the natural order of things. We start, you know, operating from the mind and the head mm. and, and according to what we think should happen or um, what other people say works for them, or this is how, how you mm-hmm. do it. And I feel like mm-hmm. that kind of takes us away from our ourselves in, in a way that's kind of healthy and, and functional. But it also, I think, takes us away from the natural order of, of life, you know, how things work. You know, you kind of have to meet the conditions of life as they're they're coming in. And so strategy can kind of be looked at as like a bit of a kind of a mind interrupt, a, a tool that we can use to to take a moment or give pause to that, the mind's incessant kind of need to control things or direct the life. Mm-hmm. And then the, the projector strategy of waiting to, for the invitation um, is even more specific. It's waiting mm-hmm. for that specific recognition that's coming in from another person where the projector can, can really show up with themselves or as themselves with a recognition of their gifts and, and, and who and what they are. And, and not have to compromise that. And in that exchange, um, there's a lot that can happen. So I like to kind of say that like with, with projectors and generators, we, we can manifest, but we're going to do it 
um, by invitation or in response, or you could say collaboratively, like we're going to do it in a process as mm-hmm. opposed to the manifester who's just running out there and, and, and then kicking something off, making it happen. And then what the manifester kind of lacks is, is the follow through the mm-hmm. energy to, to continue building that or sustaining that activity. Yeah. Beautiful. And you put it in such gentler terms because the way I've been looking at it is that I'm a, I like to call myself an aware vampire, not just <laughs> so essentially I have to think about the fact that I am kind of earning my energy from interaction with others and also bouncing it back to them. If it's a healthy exchange, um, but I have to know those boundaries so that I'm not draining the people I'm around like a vampire. So if I could be mm-hmm. a aware vampire, that's my goal. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. Did, well, I was just curious if uh, the manifesting generators, um, is it basically manifestors and generators combined or is it mm. um, a completely different thing? It, that, that's a good question. I look at manifesting generators as a subtype of generator or a, a variation on the generator theme. Uh, the reason being is that if you have a defined sacral center, so if you're looking at the body graph, it's the second square from the bottom that will be colored in red. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that means that you have consistent access to this creative vital life force energy that that we use to produce, reproduce, to work, build. And you're designed to use that. It's, it's healthy for you to use that, that energy doing those things. It also sets your aura into this receptive, enveloping aura that's designed to meet life directly. But what a manifesting generator has that a pure generator doesn't is in the body graph of one of the body's motors connected to the throat. So that would be either the sacral center, the solar plexus, the ego or the root through another another center and what that gives is manifesting potential in response so once something shows up once life has, uh, presents a manifesting generator with something that could be a, a text a phone call they could see something outside the window it's it could, we have a lot of things we can respond to mm-hmm. but once once there's an energetic connection with what's happening what we see with manifesting generators is they have this ability to bring things into form a lot more quickly. Mm-hmm. They can kind of like just kind of go right to it where a pure generator would tend to kind of have to follow the steps, kind of just mm-hmm. stay in the flow, the flow of response, like responding to the next thing and the next thing. And so manifesting generators are kind of like a hybrid. They're a generator, but they have this manifesting component to them. Mm-hmm. And the way that I read it too, was that like, this may be incorrect, but like a generator and a manifesting generator, um, the manifesting generator is going quicker, but because they have to go back and correct their mistakes because they're going so fast, they still end up at the same place at the same time. Yes. Is that correct. Okay. Mercedes yeah. husband is a manifesting generator, right? Isn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. yeah. They're often powerhouses. There's a lot of energy, a lot of potential there, depending on the, their design and, and they can, it can be really hard to slow down for manifesting generators because there's so much potential and there's so much energy to work with if they have a design like that. Hmm. And so if they, if they get out of their response, so they're, they're, you know, something comes in and then they just go and run with it. They may actually skip steps or kind of things along the way. Cause they're just, now they're off and running, but if they can kind of stay grounded and connected to that response as they're going through, I think it, it tends to work better and you'll see that they'll still kind of bring things into form 
kind of more quickly, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to, we're getting into stuff that right now, cause Jade and I are, are, are in this work and in this system uh, already. I think we're, we're privy to understanding a bit, but I know the listener is going like, wait, wait, hold on. Okay. So we just discussed, you know, a lot of the different, ty- well, all the different types manifesting wait, generators. Did we gen- cover reflectors? Not yet. We, no. Okay. Yeah. Let's hit reflectors. And then what I want to do is get us into that space of being able to just talk about the different sections of the chart and yeah. why they exist, what they're mm-hmm. for. Okay. So reflectors, roughly 1% of the population. Uh, what is, what you'll see in a reflector chart is that there are no channels defined. There are oh no my gosh. So it's all white and there's just a bunch of gate activations like that. The little numbers, the hexagrams in there will be activated, but they have nothing fixed and consistent in their design, which is kind of a key point in understanding how human design works is there's this concept of definition and definition is what's colored in through the channels and centers. And that represents what, kind of fixes our energy into a reliable, consistent pattern. It's And it kind of defines how our energy works. It, it sets mm-hmm. our work type, our strategy, our authority, which is our decision-making process. And if you look at that in the context of a reflector chart, there is no consistency. I mean, there are a couple like signposts and markers that they can use. And, and you know, if I'm working with a reflector, that's what we'll go to. We'll go to whatever is a good point of reference to while they're moving through this sea of just constant change hmm. and um, inconsistency. And they're, they're really just a different breed. They're meant to kind of stand outside of everything and be almost like a kind of a objective or impartial observer of things, very group oriented, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a whole different hmm. ball game with reflectors. And you say that's about 1% of the population, 1% of the population. Okay. And, and it, just to finish up the thoughts real yeah. quick on, on strategy, the reflector strategy is to basically wait, you know, a 28 day moon cycle, like a month, to, mm. which, which is really saying, slow down, give things time, go through your own process, because over that course of the month, what will happen is they're going to have a lot of interactions with people. They're going to have a lot of uh, kind of input from the, the planetary, planetary field, the transit field. And they're going to, they're going to experience different parts of their definition turning on. And, uh, and through that process, they'll eventually come to some sort of awareness or clarity about the truth of whatever it is they're considering. Uh, and so that's the reflector strategy is to wait the, the full moon cycle. And then the manifestor strategy, which is kind of more like a courtesy call than an actual strategy, because manifestors don't really have to wait for anything outside of themselves to, to act. They may have to wait for their own internal process to move, but their, their strategy is to inform, which I think of as good proactive communication. You know, when a manifestor is clear on what they're doing or what their impact is going to be through mm-hmm. whatever action they're going to take, it can be really helpful to, to put others at ease and kind of let people relax in the face of their independence or their unilateral kind of action. And so the informing strategy just kind of like eases and relaxes, you know, whomever is going to be impacted by it. So to be kind of upfront with where they're coming from and, you know, proactively communicate. That makes a lot of sense. So it's about setting expectations for them. A lot of it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense with when we talk about my husband having that manifester in him. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's, That's a good point. I find that manifesting generators, they can also benefit from the strategy of informing. I've mm-hmm. seen it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. 
where it's not just about responding, but once they go into action, it's like, go ahead and tell people what you're doing and Mm -hmm. work better. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we still have a bunch of sections on a chart that are unknowns at this point to us, right? So um, talked about strategies here. We talked about the energetic type. What about, maybe we can get a little more definition on what authority means and, and then signature and the not self themes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all good, good fundamental components of human design to discuss. Authority is referred to as inner authority in human design. And it's in contrast to outer authority. I think a lot of what people do and what we all you know, have to work with on some level is really looking outside of ourselves for, for answers. Like what, what should I do? How does this work? And, and that's not to say that, that we can't learn from others or learn from the outside or learn from experience or the past. Um, but what human design is really pointing us to in a very unique way is our own inner truth. That, and it's this truth that operates within the form, within the body, within the vehicle that we've come with. And so inner authority is going to be uh, oriented around a particular function. Like, for example, half the population is uh, emotionally defined. They have a defined solar plexus. And if the solar plexus is defined, that means that you have an emotional process of coming to the me. Yes. Yeah. That's you. And so there's guidance along those lines of slow down, be patient, go through several cycles of, of feeling or emotion around something until some relative clarity emerges. And, and, and so that we can get more specific if we're looking at a chart, but that's the general idea for an emotional authority. The other big one is the sacral authority, where if the emotional center, the solar plexus is not defined, uh, then the, so, the sacral, if this is for generators and manifesting generators, um, means that the the navigation system for generators and uh, for generators and manifesting generators who do not have an emotional definition is that that gut response to life that energetic resonance with things is a point of reference inside themselves that says is this activity for me or Mm -hmm. um is this something that's going to bring satisfaction or be uh be healthy or good for me in my life and so that's that's another common authority is the uh, sacral authority. And then for manifestors and for projectors, you'll also see the splenic authority, which is the other center down on the bottom left of the body graph opposite the solar plexus on the bottom right. And that's kind of the opposite of the solar plexus. The the spleen is this instinctive uh, awareness center that has to do with our sensory intelligence in our body our instincts, our intuitions, um, just kind of how things feel to our body, you know, and, and it's oriented around our health, our well-being, uh, our survival, and it's very spontaneous. It operates in the moment. So this is like kind of, again, the opposite of the solar plexus or emotional authority where you would always want to make decisions in the now versus the solar plexus authority, which is saying, don't make decisions in the now. Mm. And so just there on the surface of the chart, if you have a sense of, you know, your design and you can already kind of like work with on a very kind of simple level and say, oh, I've got an emotional authority. Let me give it time. Or I have a splenic authority if you're a projector or manifester, because they're the two types that would have that. Um, then I'm always in the now. I'm always, my truth is always in the moment. Mm-hmm. 
Why does so, Mercedes have no authority? Yeah, so I was going to ask. When, this is the part of the conversation where I start going, uh, I, have no, <laughs> I have no authority. My chart is uh, all, you know, all my motor systems are, are white here. So if you can see the chart, I'm not sure, John. Yeah. yeah. So that's a, that's a mental projector chart. And what that, what that is showing us is that there's no consistency below the throat. So when we go down, kind of below the throat into the body, into the form, there's nothing in there that is consistently operating in, in a reliable way because you're, you're going to be very receptive. there, taking on um, the energy of whomever you're interacting with. And so if you were trying to kind of operate from these lower centers in there, then it, it it's not really coming from you. And, and so the way I look at the no authority question for mental projectors is that it's it kind of there's some variations on this theme depending on the design but with your design because you have the ajna connected to the throat the, the ajna is right above the throat and it's connected to the throat center that's what's called a sounding board authority which can be a process where you you basically interact with your closest friends or um, you're just talking to people and you're you're watching what spontaneously comes out of your voice. Mm. So your voice becomes kind of an anchor point, a voice that's expressing your awareness. And I would say it's a process oriented uh, authority, kind of like the solar plexus in that, you know, over the course of time, as you're talking it out with different different people, it's not so much that you're asking for advice as you're you're having the opportunity to to hear what comes out of um, out of your mouth as you're speaking, and then also see what comes up in your body as you're taking in their energy. And so it's, it's again, kind of a authority that takes time and patience and it's pretty subtle, you know, so it can be kind of tricky to be a mental projector. You're, um, you've got a very specific definition. It's very other oriented and yet you're so open and, and you're kind of just dependent on the energy that's coming in from the environment and from others. And yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, when you say it as a sounding board, especially or needing to say words out loud in order to almost hear back what that if if that resonates for me or if that's oh, yeah, that is exactly what I mean. And then it um, refines my articulation. Right. And I can get to a point where I feel like that's exactly what I want to say. Like that is the intention that I had, but it had to go through this process like you're talking about in order to get it to that, you know, that that exact articulation that then can make sense to the other or resonate with the other. Yeah. 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 So um, and I don't and mental projectors is like a like another one percenter. Right. So it's not something as big an issue out there. Yeah. Yeah. So um uh, compassion out there for all those mental projectors. <laughs> and then, uh, okay. So we talked about authority. Should we talk about not self themes? Yeah. That would be helpful. The, the not self themes are also associated with your auric type. Mm-hmm. So the not self theme, uh, for a generator is, is frustration. And I, and I think of these not self themes as not something that's necessarily negative, but again, another type of signpost or point of reference for us. So the way I understand the not self theme is like, if we're making kind of decisions in a way that's not really based on who or what we are for operating kind of from um, trying to be something different than ourselves, uh, you know, in which in the body graph looks like not following your authority or your strategy and operating from Mm -hmm. decision-making in the open centers. But if you're doing that, 
the way that a generator is probably going to meet the world is through some sort of resistance. They're using their energy. They're out there spending a lot of effort. They're working, and yet they don't have a lot to show for themselves. Mm. It's it's like there's this kind of experience of frustration that comes up. Like I'm doing all this, and I'm not really getting anywhere. It's not mm. satisfying. It's not um, you know, it's not really working very well. I guess and that's so- why I can't do a normal job. And that's such a key point for generators is to start with that kind of that self-focus, like who am I and how am I using my energy for me? What feels good or satisfying? That's like the signature of a generator is this signature of satisfaction, you know, using your energy in a way that, that feels rewarding. And, and so frustration is kind of the opposite of that for projectors this is a, this is a fun one, but it's uh bitterness as the not self thing. You can think of bitterness as kind of like resentment, you know, projectors really feed on recognition, like being, being seen. Cause that's really what we're here for. We're here to see the other and to be seen. Especially since they're giving out advice. Yeah. Hopefully they're waiting to be an ass. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise bitterness will ensue, but yeah. um but yeah, so we're here to see and be seen. And, and that, that comes to this kind of currency of recognition. It's like, can someone actually get us, see us and appreciate us for what we are? And often, you know, projectors will have a lot of openness in their chart, although that varies by design. And so there's this potential for a lot of awareness. We're sitting around, we're watching, you know, watching the world or watching others' relationships and no one's really asking, you know? And so we get this kind of hunger for recognition to share our awareness. And I feel like the bitterness comes up as a result of, of maybe being in the wrong relationships or, the, you know, people just can't see us or hear us. We're sitting there and we're just kind of waiting all the time. And this kind of sense of resentment builds up and it, and it tastes kind of, it's like a bad taste in the mouth, you know, like the invitation never comes or something. The invitation never comes or, you know, we're, we're out there running around trying to be a generator or a manifester. And then we're getting exhausted. We're finding out that it's, it's not actually getting us anywhere. Uh, you know, maybe our bodies are complaining or our health is breaking down. And, and then there's this, this type of like general resentment to, to life, to the situation, to the other's, and it, and it usually will kind of get bottled up, you know, projectors will sit on it for a while and then just take it in and, and, and carry it with them and until it just finally gets to the point where it just comes out. I, I kind of refer to it as like, you know, the, the bitch nozzle when it opens up, it's just like, <laughs> get out of the way. It's going to yeah. be sharp and penetrating and it, the poor person who's in front of us at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally projecting all over the world when that happens. So what do we do, John, in that situation when we're not being seen? Yeah. So that's a good question. I think it's pointing back to this, you know, this question of timing, timing in the right conditions. So for projectors, that means the right relationships. You know, I think relationships can make all the difference to projectors. The, the right ones can, can put us into a, like a trajectory or a new direction in life where everything just works really well. We have this, this signature of success, you know, the success of actually having a life of our own and not being exhausted, being recognized, you know, success will look different for each person, but it's a lot of it's going to come through the invitation through relationships. So there's this question of, of waiting for that. And 
oftentimes I'm asked, like when I'm working with people, like, well, what do I do when I'm waiting? You know, does it mean I'm just sitting around all the time waiting for someone to ask? And, and it's not quite like that. It's not like that you have to be invited to, to do the laundry or you have to be invited to go get a cup of coffee, you know, or, or, or whatever. It, we're really talking about kind of the big things in life that can really shape our life and direction, like invited into a new job or profession or, um, invited into a new location in terms of moving or a new relationship. They're all based on that type of recognition and something being there for us on the other side. And so I think that there's a little bit of a a struggle, you know, for all of us, especially the types that are always 90% of the population is playing a waiting game. Mm. And what, what can we do in the meantime? I like to use the, the metaphor of kind of being more of a lighthouse than a, a search party. You know, if, if, if the projector aura is this kind of focused and penetrating um, kind of energy field that's really looking at the other person, if we're running around, you know, shining our floodlight in everyone's face, it's kind of like you were saying, Mercedes, people are like, you know, hey, it's, I'm not asking for that. that's too much. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. But if we're, if we're kind of like centered or grounded or, or kind of aligned with ourself, then I feel like we can, we can just keep watching. We can look, we can be that lighthouse where there's awareness, there's a light shining out there. And eventually we're going to draw the right mm-hmm. relationships, opportunities, or experiences to ourselves just by being ourselves. It's like the more we align with who we really are, we're sending out kind of a more clear beacon to the world, which I think will ultimately bring in what we need. And so it's yeah. kind of like that is just how I see it. Yeah, I I definitely can feel that too. And I almost like the idea of taking the time that you're, you're waiting for the invitation to really sit into the work that you feel called to. So like becoming masterful and uh, just growing that part of you because you can put your energy there and you can take your, you know, spend your time there so that when you do get invited to the invitation, you're really ready to, to shine some light Mm -hmm. wherever it's asked for. Um, I do want to say, and I know that I've heard anyway, I think I've heard from you in some other podcasts you've done that projectors most often come to this work over any of the other types come to this human design over any of the other types because they're looking for a system perhaps. Um, And they have maybe a bigger struggle because of their specific strategy and maybe lack of authority centers and that. But um, I have this this question that comes up whenever I hear about, you know, needing to be a, to look for answers outside of me or look for someone to see me in order to feel good and okay. Um, Maybe that comes from my own conditioning, you know, early in life, but can you address that part of, of where it might feel like, especially for a projector to be, that they're giving their power away in a sense by seeking external validation in that way. Does that make sense? Am I making sense with that question? Yeah. Yeah, That's something that comes up for me where I'm like, I'm, you know, I want to be able to do this all myself or whatever, but I also know we're interdependent beings at the end of the day. So yeah. I want to address that at some, some place of that, whatever you feel called to in there. Yeah, I think you're you're speaking to this recognition piece. I, what I what I saw in myself um, in my early life, and I you know I still I think I've gotten a lot better about it over the last six years because there's awareness of that dynamic. 
but I would just kind of sell myself out for attention, for recognition, to be noticed, you know, and when I was a, you know, a kid, I was kind of like a class clown, you know, and I was just trying to, to feed on attention and, and the energy coming in from others. And, um, and I feel like we all do that to some degree because we, we get impatient with, with the waiting, or we think that if I don't go out there and do something or start something, initiate something, then it's not going to happen. Like, you know, we, in other words, we really don't trust in ourselves and we don't trust in life. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, I feel like it, yeah, we will just tend to compromise ourselves. We'll, we'll sell ourselves out in some way. And what that often looks like is we'll show up and we'll volunteer ourselves in a way that's not really healthy for us. Let me, let me tell you, let me help you. Let me, uh, share my awareness with you or, um, look what I'm going to do for you. We'll often show up in jobs and certain, you know, relationships as generators, like, you know, based on I'm going to work or I'm going to provide for you or do something for you in, in, in that way, energetically. And I think it just sets us off on the wrong foot. And then that becomes this recipe leading to bitterness. It's like, it doesn't work out very well. That really resonates with me for sure. Ooh, I'm going to sit with that for a while. I hope that that helps some people that might've been in that same, you know, mental juxtaposition (laughs) I felt in. Um, Okay. I want to, I want to move us on to, to the colors in the chart and what the significance of these different colors in our, whether it be our motor centers or um, like where mine are in the throat or Anja or above. So, so what, does the color symbolize? Cause I noticed they're very bright. There's lime green, there's reds, there's gold. There's all this color. Well, the, the answer I'm going to give, I don't know if it's going to be fully satisfying, but uh, human design uh, is, is essentially a channeled system, a downloaded system, or it came through this, this guy back in 1987, where he had this eight day experience with what he called the voice which I, I understand was kind of more visual than auditory. He would he was seeing things and this information was coming into his head over this experience. He he thought he'd completely lost his mind. And, and that's Ra, right? That's Ra, yeah. He, he has the uh, assumed name of Ra Uruhu. Uh, he was a Canadian. His name was Robert Krakauer. Um, and, and so he has this experience and he sees all these things. He's seeing the chart. He's seeing the wheels. He's seeing all of this kind of fit together. And when people have asked him in the in the past, he he passed away, I think, in 2011, I believe. But that was a common question. Why are the centers the color that they were? And he said, I don't know. That's what I saw. That's what the voice showed me. And so so they don't actually mean anything. uh, I don't know. I'm looking for the logic in it and the pattern design is a very logical system. Everything fits together almost like a puzzle. And then you get to the colors and you're looking and trying to figure out what's the pattern there and nothing that's an open question <laughs> okay i don't know, I don't know if so there. then i know like you said that i have an open throat and mercedes has a, a defined throat how would someone look at that part of their chart and know i thought it was based off colors or something so how how does someone look at their chart and know what type of throat they have and also what is open throat and defined throat now that mm-hmm. now that people will be able to see in their own chart so that if you're looking at the body graph, the birth chart, you're mm-hmm. going to see nine different shapes in there and these lines that are connecting it. The, the shapes are centers and they're roughly associated with the, the traditional seven chakra centers. But human design kind of looks at uh, humanity as being in this process of evolution where we back in 1781 were uh, basically kind of upgraded into a new form, a nine centered form. And so 
that's that's the idea of the centers and there are these shapes in there they're they're stationary in the chart so they're always in the same place the throat will always be where the throat is mm-hmm. the, the head is the head center is kind of above the crown the ajna which i know you said there's not much to work with in my head <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, mine is pulled up, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, Mercedes and I are pretty much opposites, so that works for our business. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the the centers, what those shapes and those positions will either be colored in or they'll be white. So, like the ajna is always green, the throat's always kind of brown, um, the head's always yellow. So the colors are fixed, but they're either going to be colored or white. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they're going to be colored in is that there's a channel connecting the two centers, the channel that's divine, that defined by planets on either mm-hmm. side of the channel. Okay. So you create activations that are activating the channel and the two centers. Mm-hmm. And so anything that's colored in in your chart, you can think of as your imprint. It's part of your imprint. But Which the, is defined. But the definition yeah, comes from the actual channel definition. The channels are they're kind of like a, they're referred to as a quantum where the sum is greater than the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So you take these two things and you put it together and you get this third expression. Mm. And they're representing the life force, like how our energy is fixed into a certain pattern. Um, so does that answer your question in terms of just seeing what's colored in versus what's white? So when it's white, it's open, open. basically. Okay. And then, and what does that mean? Like to have an open throat or an open whatever you know whichever uh, center yeah we're definition represents what is fixed consistent and reliable for us it's mm. kind of what puts our energy into that schematic or that pattern where what's open is you could say conditional or circumstantial mm. uh, it's inconsistent and so it was, it's kind of an interesting thing that that you know you're kind of pointing to and it's that uh we tend to get into trouble when we expect that what's fixed in us, what's defined should be different than it is. Like if someone has emotional definition and you think, I wish I didn't have these strong feelings. I wish mm-hmm. I didn't have these down points of, of, of my wave or, um, you know, so you, we try to make the definition something else. Yeah. The opposite thing happens where we start wishing we had consistency in areas that aren't designed to be consistent or they're not designed to be fixed. Those open centers can be a a great source of experience, learning, wisdom, um, but it's going to be influenced by whatever's happening, our our relationships. I see. So if someone is around us that makes us like, I have an open throat. So if someone around me makes me out, like makes me feel more talkative and like is more dependent on the energy around me. Whereas Mercedes is a little bit more consistent. (laughs) Um, But that actually leads into our next question. What you were saying about, you know, um, seeing our chart and not, and wanting it to be different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what does it mean if we don't feel like our chart resonates with, with where we're at? Well, given that we have an exact correct birth time, because sometimes I've ha- I've had some experiences where the time's off and I'll get into like a reading or a session. I'll be talking to some someone and and it's like something's not hitting here. Something's off. And and then and I would say in all of those cases, it's come back to be like, all right, wait, no, that it was actually it was twelve thirty a.m., not twelve thirty p.m. or something. Mm-hmm. And something's really different. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've I've seen consistently is that if we have an exact birth time human design tends to hold up again and again. And it, 
it often, if the person has some self-awareness or they've been doing their own work, whatever that looks like and whatever modalities and, you know, kind of, you know, relatively in line with themselves, the information that they're going to hear in human design is going to be more of a kind of a validation or a confirmation than something completely coming out of left field. That said, I've seen some situations where people are pretty far off, off, you know, away from where they, where they actually are in terms mm-hmm. of their design. And they're living a life that is heavily conditioned. It's been influenced by their upbringing, their education, parents, peers, the, the, the world at large. And you're, you're dealing with that you, in human design, which would be called kind of a, a not self. Someone has an orientation. They built almost like an alter ego or persona that is really based on these old kind of coping strategies, patterns of behavior that don't really represent who they are. Mm-hmm. And then in that case, it can be kind of hard to kind of, there's a lot of work and deconditioning work that needs to be done to get back to themselves. And so I don't want to make an assumption that if, you know, if someone doesn't resonate with human design, then it means that there's something wrong with them. But what I've seen in my own practice and my own experience is that it, it tends to hold up. And usually when people hear about it, they'll recognize these patterns, these coping patterns or these not self patterns. And they'll be like, okay, I know what you're talking about. I get, mm-hmm. I need to look at this. Yeah. They'll be able to feel that there is truth in there that they just have been trying to shove themselves into some other box. Or, that doesn't yeah. Fit. That they've been conditioned by um, like, I know for me, I'm, I'm meant to, as a generator, I'm meant to allow my energy, like, to almost, like, draw things to me. Like, um, generators are supposed to be very magnetic, right? So, like, our auric fields draw, our aura fields draw things to us. And, however, like, our culture is very much that of, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, like, you know, work hard and, like, force things almost. And so, I think, too if you, as a generator, if you feel just as an example, if you feel like you don't draw things to you or you're uncomfortable with that, it might be like the conditioning of our culture. That's just an example of maybe something that may not feel resonant. Well, I, yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think Mercedes, you touched on it earlier. There's so much manifest or conditioning out there. It's yeah. like, the, there's like, especially the, like from our parents too, because yeah, just go yeah. do it, make it happen, go work hard or go, take initiative and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then we're also in these situations where we're being kind of asked at an early age to, to figure ourselves out before we're mm-hmm. we've lived on the planet long enough. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like from an astrological point of view and also with human design, it's the Saturn return is, is kind of the time at around 28, 29, when we get to really get a sense of what we're, what this life is about. Like, mm-hmm. who are we? Saturn's gone all the way around the wheel and it's gone through every house or you could say every gate of, of the body graph. And at that point, we kind of have this possibility of like, okay, now I kind of know what this is about, but we're usually asking our kids, you know, when they're teens, like, what do you want to do? What do you mm-hmm. want to do? Mm-hmm. All that stuff, go out there and do it. We're, we're kind of starting off on pretty shaky ground without yeah. this sense of what we're even about yet. And, and there's yeah. so much listening for that. Yeah. And I guess like you could say like, Cause I, I started to want to ask you like, well, what's the best thing we can do as parents to projectors or as parents to generators or manifesting generators? Like what's the best way we can serve each of them? But I guess, um, the best way for all of them is to just, um, not try to condition them and to allow them to be who they are 
naturally. I know probably projectors, it's, uh, what do you think, Mercedes, since you're a projector? Oh, well, first of all, I don't know what my dad is, but I can see exactly like where I got the tendencies that I have as a projector to be overly. So he probably wasn't a projector. Maybe he was a projector. I don't know. I don't Mm. know his birth time. So I'd have to ask him and figure that out. But I can see that some of my conditioning came from just generally the people around me, especially in my early life. And the way I use it, though, in my life today, when I'm using it against my strategy, you know, out of my strategy, outside of my strategy, doesn't work well for me. So a lot of it always comes back to how can I be more in the flow? How can I soften here? How can I stop trying? Stop trying. I was more curious about like from like from a parent or a partner, Mm -hmm. how how we can better serve like, you know, um, a projector generator or manifesting generator. But I also know like just looking into their charts uh, when I thought I was a projector, I remember reading that like projectors need a lot more time to wind down before bed and it's best that they sleep alone. You know, like there's all these like things. And I know my projector son shares a bunk bed with his generator sister. So um, there's just, I guess, a bunch of tools in parenting when you actually look into what your child is and what that means for them. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a pretty deep and important subject. I think I, I grew up in a family of uh, three generators, both my parents and my brother. And I obviously no idea that I was a projector back then. And uh, I was, I was the crazy one. I was bouncing off the walls. I was running around like, like a lunatic half the time. And they ended up putting me on Ritalin and, and diagnosing me with a, you know, ADHD. And, uh, and I can look back on that and go, wow, maybe I was just amplifying all the energy in the house and I had no idea what was going on, you know? And, and so I think just having the awareness of, of like your kid's design, you know, mm-hmm. on a very simple level, like, okay, I'm dealing with a projector who's really open or I'm dealing with a manifesting generator who's very defined, very mm-hmm. fixed in a way. And if we can kind of meet them as they are using human design as a point of reference, I think it can really go a long way. And then there's more specific things we can do um, in terms of like the protocols of interaction where generators tend to do best when they have something specific to respond to. So you can ask a generator, like, would you like to questions? Mm -hmm. Would you like to do this? That questions that can be kind of answered with yes or no, that they can then take inventory or check in within themselves. And, and you can kind of support that process where projectors, it needs to be a little bit more specific than that. Like it's, it's almost inviting their awareness and saying, Hey, what do you, what are you seeing? What are you interested in? Um, you know, and not kind of putting on, putting that generator pressure or trip on them, which is, you know, you need to get out there and work and be productive and do all this stuff. It's like eventually going to lead to some, some stage of burnout or exhaustion. Yeah. Um, and then there's some dietary stuff too on it in the deeper levels of human design where you can see specifically what support their body needs at a young age and like certain ways of eating or eating conditions that can be supportive to their digestion and their, their body as they're growing and developing. And uh, just with a little bit of that knowledge, you can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. As well. Yeah. And for those of you who want to dig that deep into it, you can book a session with John through metamorphichumandesign.com. 
Yep. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was also curious because I know that you served with, with La Familia for a while, how human design can be used in conjunction with plant medicine for both preparation and integration. Yeah. I, I, I was never serving medicine with them. Um, oh yeah. But uh, you worked with them. Sorry. <laughs> but I did a lot of work with, with those guys and they're close friends of mine. And, uh, and you know, it's interesting too, from the point of view of human design in that both, both plant medicine and ayahuasca came into my life roughly at the same time with, within, I would say six months of each other. Both ayahuasca and uh, human design. Human design yeah, about, mm. about six years ago. And i had heard about human design through a friend, as I mentioned earlier, and then I got invited to do a, a retreat by uh, another friend of mine um, to, to go and do a three-day ayahuasca retreat. And I did that as I was still kind of like getting my feet into the human design material and, and, and working with that. And they both kind of took on this kind of like complementary interwoven kind of role in my life of what I think is ultimately deconditioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was able through... You know, like I said, with human design to in kind of understanding what it meant to be a projector, how my energy was designed to work, having a, a basic understanding of my body graph, just to start experimenting with that. And often that looks like just letting go of stuff like, OK, I'm not going to maybe do that anymore or maybe I'll try this thing. And um, and it's kind of just offloading things that just aren't really healthy for me or that weren't working for me. Mm-hmm. And then I go into to the the plant medicine experience and it's going kind of directly into the body and bringing up all sorts of stuff that that I didn't know that I was even carrying around like you know trauma that I thought that I had already kind of addressed or dealt with um I realized that I had kind of a lot of emotional work to do I was really shut down in certain areas which I associate with kind of the the deconditioning of my solar plexus I have an open solar plexus and um and so, th- yeah, it kind of evolved into this um, this kind of exploration where both of them were kind of working at the same time. And I feel like what human design was really doing was giving me a point of reference to to for my mind, really, to to work with as all these things were being let go of or being cleaned out or released. I feel like plant medicine can be. Um, kind of destabilizing, you know, and that's why there's the need for like community and integration work around that. And then human design can give us a point of reference, like, all right, maybe, maybe I can get my bearings, you know, with experimenting with my strategy and authority, for example, or profile, which is another important piece of human design as a point of reference. So yeah, that's kind of the quick version of it. But yeah, I, I do see these things go hand in hand, or they can. Yeah, I've also heard on uh, some, I believe it was also podcasts you did speaking about how when people go into a plant medicine journey, sometimes they even visualize human design before knowing about human design. They visualize something like their chart or seeing something that would that they would later understand was maybe related to human design when they get introduced to that um, modality later. Is that something you've seen? Yeah, that's that's been pretty prominent in in my experiences in that space. Um, I've had a lot of human design visions. <laughs> I don't know if it's just my own consciousness and programming, but uh, I I had a specific instance, you know, early on where it was almost like the medicine was showing me my body graph and saying, "You oh, really wow. need to take this in. You need to get that this is." an imprint of your energy. And that was when human design was still pretty new to me. And, um, 
And so, yeah, it, it felt like it was always kind of part of that experience. And then I had other experiences where I would see the, the wheel, the body graph, the mandala, um, as it's called in, in human design, which is this pretty complex kind of map. And I was just kind of deconstructing it and taking it apart in that space. And, and um, I have a lot of people come in who've either come out of sessions working with different plant medicines who had heard about human design and they're looking for, again for another point of reference um, or they're going into it like kind of you're saying and then they're they're kind of integrating it or working with it in that space mm-hmm. uh, so you know what I think what's going on is that both of those things have the potential to kind of bring us back to a, a more authentic true experience of ourselves um, ayahuasca tends to kind of work pretty intensely within the form and the body Um, but then it kind of brings up stuff in the emotions and the mind and our energy field where human design tends to enter in through the mind, but it's really taking us to the body. So it's kind of the same, the same destination, but different ways of of getting at it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. All wholeness. And I, so before we move on to our staple questions, I really wanted to get in to the 2027 shift with you. um, If you're, if you're willing. <laughs> uh, so 2027, um, there's something of, uh, I don't know if it's called, a, I wouldn't call it a prophecy, but there's, there was a little bit of kind of a predictive forecast that, that came through the knowledge when it was transmitted to, to this guy raw that we're referring to. And is this the first prophecy or have others come true in the past? Well, he, he did point out some things like he had uh, identified um, certain things like the, the existence of something called neutrinos, which are these very small, like subatomic particles. So the smallest kind of known particles in the universe. And, uh, he was pointing to those and he, he said that these things exist. And then I think it was years later that science came out and then finally like established it through, through scientific methods. And so he had a pretty good track record, I think. And when, when he was talking about 2027, he was referring to what are called the global cycle changes. And this is, this is kind of a, a change of the background frequency, the cosmic background frequency that we're all swimming in right now. Mm. Uh, the earth, all of humanity uh, with this idea that's kind of connected to the, the procession of the equinoxes in astrology, where there's that kind of a gradual movement of you know the relative position of our earth with with the the north star and these these fixed points in space um where basically the energies and the frequencies are are changing we've been in a 400 year period called the cross of planning It, it it's spoke about in terms of these crosses which are basically a combination of four gates um in in the wheel that are kind of associated with it. And there's multiple crosses and multiple cycles, but the basic idea is that we're moving from this cross of planning, which started in the early 1600s and it ends in 2027. And we enter in a new 400 year cycle for humanity. And it's called the cross of the sleeping Phoenix. And they have very different energies in, in each of these um, context. And so the cross of planning was about uh, you could say the building of institutions, um, governments that all kind of based on this kind of tribal bargain system of, you know, a, a division of labor. We're all in this together and we're going to make these agreements. And through that, we're going to be able to 
really focus and develop technologies. We're going to um, be able to kind of, um, you know, kind of perfect these these you could almost say materialistic patterns of the world where where um you know, we develop iPhones and we have these we have we've got Amazon Prime and all <laughs> you can kind of think of like everything that goes into making an iPhone or getting an Amazon delivery the next day here. What Ra was saying is that was all a result of the cross of planning that 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 was the background frequency supported that. Mm. And and part of that was like kind of the, the institution of marriage and how we're coming together and the bonds that we have. Mm. And from the point of view of the human design system and the, these changing global cycles, all of that is kind of fading away. It's it's starting to to transition into a new time period, a new a new context. And the cross of the sleeping phoenix looks very different. It. First of all, there's there's this mutation of emotional awareness, the solar plexus. That's a part of this, where there's this kind of greater potential for spirit awareness or emotional intelligence, emotional awareness coming. Um, we're also seeing a lot of changes in terms of how we uh, relate with others, in terms of intimacy. We're seeing changes to like re the reproductive rate and like the birth rate of the planet. That that was part of what he saw. Um, and then the kind of one of the big things is that there's a move towards more individual um, activity in the world, more a, a more individual orientation to life, where it's going to be more about us kind of using our energy as empowered in individuals in order to survive, versus. Um, you know, kind of like this, this more collective, you know, you could say institutional kind of support system that we have in place. We're already kind of seeing it, I think, you know, with some of the, the problems that governments are having around the world, there's kind of a loss, a loss of faith in institutions and the corporate world and the government, you know, institutions, politicians. So that's kind of the, the quick version of it. Do you, have any questions or well, any I, I just add that I even see that happening in in our religious dogma. You know, there's a there's some sort of dis, dilute disillusion happening there as well, where we're coming to systems like human design that allow for more experimentation and dancing with ideas and getting mm -hmm. a broader option. Or I think Jade, before, uh, before you came on, John called it God's breath, you know, like this idea that God's breathed on everything so you can you can attain or gain some sort of insight about self or your own inner god and your own inner spiritual experience by just playing and dancing in the world it doesn't have to be like at a church with this you know specific dogma and following these specific rules that structure was important and it's powerful for for what it is but we can now see outside of that some I totally agree. I think I think you're exactly right that 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 is also kind of an example of how the cross of planning kind of built all that. And now that it's starting to fade or it's starting to recede, then um, it opens up new possibilities. And that 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 orientation of spirit that I mentioned, it's individual. It's mm. basically there's there's a move towards the individual. And you can already kind of see that out in the world that, you know, there there's kind of a how to say it there it can be challenging to be an individual in in some of the the collective um context or the tribal mm -hmm. context and and so that that's the movement and you can kind of look at these changing global cycles as what's called the program in human design which is this 
this cosmic clockwork of planetary influences and background frequencies that actually support and kind of inform the experience that we're having on, on this world. Humans kind of have this, this t- type of vanity where we think that we're actually doing all of this. <laughs> but sometimes it feels or it looks a lot more like it's just happening. Like mm-hmm. it's happening. we're going along for the ride in a way. And um, this so depends it, on how far we zoom out, right? How far we zoom out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's, hmm. that's totally, uh, that makes so much sense. We get so busy in our own little worlds and we think that it's all the, the world's revolving around us. Right. But at the end of the day, we're just, we are nature. We're part of it. <laughs> yeah, that was my point. Yeah. This is nature. Yeah. yeah. So does it mean like if Ra is correct that um, we're not moving towards communism and uh but also like you say, individual. And I was thinking too, that like possibly in the future we would be living more communally. Um, so I was a little confused on which one it was. So, yeah, that's a good question. I, I have a sense of, well, I have a personal sense of it. And, and I feel like that when we talk about like communism or like mm-hmm. the collective society as a whole, I don't, I don't think that the, that's ultimately going to, take root. I, I don't mm. think that, the, that nature and these, these frequencies that we're talking about will ultimately support that. I think that we're going to con- see a continued breakdown of, again, these, these large institutions, even though what we're seeing now may be kind of that is like the, the last, you know, dying gasp or thrust of the whole thing. It's like, okay, we're going to try to hold on to whatever control we can. But I think in the end, nature will win and it's going to put us back in an individual dire- direction. And when it comes to like, questions of community, I think what we're going to see are smaller, more regional communities that are based on more about kind of resonance, like this, like who, who do we actually connect with? Who's actually correct or healthy for us mm-hmm. rather than a lot of maybe more surface type stuff like, um, you know, our birth family or, you know, our race or our, our church or our group or whatever it, you know, it's going to, I think, going to reorganize and reform in these smaller, more regional pockets is my, my sense. Yeah. And I, I want to just say that like the way that I, I see it is from the sense of what we're attracted to now in this like kind of hipster culture is the gypsy or the vagabond or that kind of loner essence. Even the nerd is on the rise, right? Like, so <laughs> all these things where you think of it as a singular person who's out there deciding to, to kind of pioneer and, you know, cut a, a, a what do you call raise a trail, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. They're making their own way. I think that is actually about communing rather than community, but it all leads back to the, the whole, you know, it all leads back to becoming, remembering the parts of you that make you whole, therefore, or then you're able to add to the community in a really healthy and um, serviceful way. Yeah. And I think that's like kind of the, for me, that's what it feels like anyway, is like we're moving towards this direction of doing the inner work, which is very individual. However, it adds to the whole in the community. Yeah. Collective conscious. I, I think that's a good point. Ra had this phrase, which I really like, which I think is, is what you're speaking to it, which was communion of awareness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like there, there, there's a, there is a coming together and there's going to be a resonance and a certain frequency that we share, but I think it's going to look different than, than what we've seen in the past. And I think that it's going to organize more around 
hopefully around like what is actually true and correct for us and healthy and, and what is our proper role and what are we here for? Yeah. Um, I think we've been kind of off far off track of that for that's that's really beautiful too because it's so much of what we do on this show we call it journeying into the gray and it's about you know as humans so far or in this period like you're talking about we have been attempting to control and create the structure and know what's coming next because it's so scary not to know what's in that gray area what's in that beyond right but i think that this paradigm that we're stepping into now is about can we be, you know, brave enough to, to stand, hold the pose as, you know, we know we're worthy to stand here and step on the edge and like look into the gray or look into what else might be out there that we can't even predict because we're trying to predict from control and from structure. I, yeah, I agree. I love that fluidity, diddy, yeah. fluidity. That's how I say. All right. So there is a few short questions I'd like to ask everyone who comes on the show. So first off, John, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? Hmm. I would probably say just be yourself and it will all be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Oh, um, this is a little bit more tough. I think I've, I've gone through so many important books over uh, different points in my life, but if I, if I were to narrow it down, you know, I think early on, it, you know, one of the books that really had an influence on me was uh, the Tao Te Ching mm-hmm. and just, in terms of this this way of kind of aligning more with the natural order of things. And uh, I think there's a lot of deep, deep wisdom in that. And when it comes to just that, you know, that way of, uh, of looking at it in terms of nature. Mm-hmm. And if I were to pick something a little bit more recent, I really had a, a pretty profound experience with uh, a book by a, a guy named Adyashanti. Are you guys familiar with Adyashanti? Mm-hmm. He's he's kind of a, um, I would say maybe a modern Buddhist influence. Mm-hmm. And um, he's also a, a mental projector, mm-hmm. and interestingly enough. And uh, it, it's kind of for the same reasons as I as I mentioned the Tao Te Ching, in that I think they're they're both kind of pointing to a, a deeper nature or order of things and in different ways. And uh, yeah, the book from Adyashanti that I'm thinking of is called Emptiness Dancing. Emptiness Dancing. Yeah. And it's kind of a collection of his talks, but it, it reads really well like a book. And uh, yeah, I just... And yeah. how do you spell that first one? It's A-D-Y-A-S-H a or, yeah. sorry not his name but the the Tao Te Ching or whatever oh, Tao Te Ching yeah yeah it's a uh, it's T A O uh huh T E C H I N G okay it was it's very famous word. Google will know if you just voice text okay. it in if anyone's yeah. listening and wants to figure yeah. that one out he was a he was a, a what a I think a sixth century BC Chinese sage. Hmm. wrote this this text and there are these small passages it's like you could find like in a little pocketbook format almost and 
there, there's kind of contemplations and reflections, mm-hmm. but they're all kind of pointing to this natural order of things, which it's it's considered one of the classic texts of Taoism. And and I, I think there's just a resonance for me personally, because uh, human design is really a kind of a Taoist system in a way, which maybe it's not talked about that way very much. But, you know, the, with the I Ching and just the, the kind of coming back to nature, I feel like. I feel like there's a real resonance there. I think it's interesting that here in the West that we, it seems like the further East it goes, the further out we are from knowing it. I don't know if that makes sense. So like we're talking about chakra systems right now, we're talking about, you know, well, we now enhanced to nine of them with human design, but then the Tao Te Ching, like being even further out, you Mm know, and, and I don't know if, it, if it's distance that for some reason we, feel like we we grasp it differently when you're looking at the map that way. But um, something that brought to mind that I did want to touch on before I finish off with this other, this last question for you was you, you talked about the Tao Te Ching and you talked about how it brought you to this understanding of how nature plays such a significant role that you maybe at the time when you came to that book weren't allowing um, to resonate as much for you. And, and I wondered if maybe you were coming from more of like a science-based place at the time mm-hmm. and then coming to this work in astrology and so much of what human design has to do with, what was, you know, what was the factor in human design that someone who coming to this with like a very skeptical mind, maybe because it's astrology based in a large way, um, could see that this not trying to make it a science product because this is like I said it's a dance and it's an experiment if it resonates it resonates right but what is it about this system that does cement it a little bit that does ground it a little bit to where we can go okay yeah let me let me see if this this holds something for me yeah well just the way you're saying that I think is the right way to approach it is as a experiment or an investigation of sorts like don't take it as uh, a belief system or dogma or rule book that you've got to like apply to your life, but look at it more as like points of reference signposts that then you can say, all right, there's this thing called strategy. If, if I'm a projector, let me, let me just kind of look back on my life and, and, and look at when things really went well, or when I really felt seen or recognized, or I had this experience of success. How did that come to me? Did it, did I go out there and make it happen or mm. did it come through a relationship? Did it come through someone asking me? Um, so we can, we can kind of, you know, I think if, if all this information stays up in the mind and, and it, it becomes like just an intellectual process, I don't think it really does a lot more than just satisfy some interest or curiosity. And, and I feel like it, it's really about kind of coming back to, to, what works, the natural order of things, mm. that kind of the nature connection. And, you know, when I, when I was first introduced to astrology, it was by my mother when I was pretty young and I didn't want to hear any of it. I, w- I was, I was ignorantly skeptical. I was just like, if it's coming from, from my mom, I'm not interested. It's weird. And then my brother actually was the one who went, went and agreed to go get a reading with her astrologer first and came back and convinced me to do it. So I go in very skeptical. And, and then over the course of the reading, I was like, all right, this guy knows <laughs> way too much about me. He's saying stuff that I've only thought in my head. How is he doing this? And then the, I guess the projector part of me clicked on and I'm like, I need to know everything about this. Yeah. And, you know, as my own exploration. So that started off astrology. But by the time human design showed up, I was also still kind of skeptical. I was like, oh no, another system. But just like I said, hearing 
and understanding a little bit about what it meant to be a projector was enough that I was like, let's experiment. Let's go a little bit yeah. further. And I think that that's really the best way to, to, to do it. People have to come do it on their own. They have to feel a resonance with it. It has to be in the right time. And, you know, I, I don't control any of that. If someone shows up for a session with me, I'm, I'll show up and give them my best. But after that point, it's kind of, it's, it's on them, you know, to, to live their life or not. And um, so I would, I would always point people back to their own direct experience to themselves. And, and that, that's, I think what the connection or the thread is with like the emptiness dancing book by Ajashanti and, and the Tao yeah. I got to pick that up for sure. The emptiness dancing sounds fascinating. Um, and you did, you mentioned the neutrinos as well. And I know that's something to do with like the exact time, place and moment you were born being why you suddenly are part of this type and, and such, right? Yeah. The, the, as I understand it, it's this neutrino field, which is this like sea of neutrinos. That's just going through every corner of the universe. It's like they're penetrating everything. That's kind of the the medium or the substance, and I'm, I'm not speaking in scientific terms. I'm kind of conceptually how I understand it. Uh, that the the planets are filtering through, so it's like we're getting the imprint of the planets through this neutrino field, and then it's the relative to our time, date, and place that we're born. There's a relationship between us and the cosmos that we can kind of read from this imprint. And we have those two different charts. Like I mentioned in the beginning, we've got the black and the red, the conscious and the unconscious, or you could say personality and design. And then you get a sense of like, okay, well, this is, this is me, you know? And then with that basic understanding, you can experiment with operating from that place or not, you know, go out there and keep doing the things you're doing and see what happens. It's, it really is kind of a, yeah, an experimental process. Beautiful. Yes. It's a dance. I hope you all feel invited to listening to this mm. today. All right. So if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would that be? Mm. I th it'd probably be along the lines of what I would tell my younger self that I would, you know, want to uh, just say, you know, trust yourself, you know, just, just tune in and listen to what your body's telling you. And, uh, yeah, and see what happens. It will probably be okay. Mm -hmm. you know? And and I think, you know, to, to simplify that a little bit, one of the things that, that Ra would always close his, his talks and with his, uh, emails was love yourself, which mm -hmm. is really, I think the kind of the foundation of all mm -hmm. is a type of self-acceptance and self-love from there. I think a lot more becomes possible. Beautiful. Okay. Before we let you go, where can everybody find you online? So I've got two websites. I have my personal practice website. It's called metamorphichumandesign.com. And that's where I offer sessions. And um, if people are interested in getting what like an intro to human design, it's called a foundation reading. It's a really good place to start and other type of services. And then there's also the human design collective, which I run with my partner, Amy who uh, teaches classes and workshops with in human design with me. And so humandesigncollective.com. Uh, and there's some course offerings, some workshops, there's a blog, and we, we have a podcast as well, uh, the Human Design Collective podcast. So those are all places that you can find me. Amazing. Awesome. This has been so enlightening, John. Um, 
I just know by listening, you know, I love when we have something on our show that's kind of new to us in our audience, because then we have to go and study it <laughs> and we get to, that's something that super excites me. So maybe because I'm a projector. Um, and this has been one of those things where, like I said, when I was listening to some of your work and I was having that piece of my strategy explained to me of wait for the invitation. I like burst out into tears and I was like, you know, it's just one of those moments where you just knew that message is for me. Like I need that message. I needed to know that thing. I needed to hear it um, in order to really just go, okay, yeah, I'm going to take that and I'm going to add that to my, my arsenal. And it has already changed my life just in the few weeks that I've been using that strategy. So I can't, um, say enough about how I appreciate that the work you're doing in this, this lifetime is, um, adding healing to me and so many others. So we just appreciate you and thank you for being a light. Oh, thank you. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate the invitation to, to join you today. And, um, yeah, it's been a fun discussion. So thank you both. Yeah. Thank you. All right. <sighs> so much information. I know. I think we always take like a deep breath at the end of end of a interview because it's just like absorb like a, yeah. a like a pot. Yeah, the time for pausing. Yeah, you're exactly. like soaking in, soaking in. Yeah, I know, and I love just being able. First of all, I love that we get to record these and listen back and like mm-hmm. live in this work for as long as we need to. Um, such. I'm so grateful we started this podcast, Jade. <laughs> Think of <laughs> all the amazing things that have come into our lives specifically because of it, just because of needing to do the research for it. Yeah. Oh, okay. What's your magic today? Mine is a compassion exercise. And I know that I have done a few compassion exercises as magic tricks in the past, but this one's different. Um, this one can be done with a certain person in mind, like um, someone you're struggling with forgiveness for um, someone that you love, or you could just do it as you're walking around the airport or the mall or, you know, the beach, wherever you're at on the people that are around you. So there's five steps, but they're very quick. So step one is like in each of these steps, your attention is on this one person. Okay. So step one is you think to yourself, and like repeat in your heart, just like me, this person is seeking some happiness for his or her life. Step two, just like me, this person is trying to avoid suffering in his or her, her life. Step three, just like me, this person has known sadness, loneliness, and despair. Step four, just like me, this person is seeking to fulfill his or her needs. And step five, just like me, this person is learning about life. So you can do that focused on your partner. You can do that focused on a parent or like, um, I know I've done it just sitting in a coffee shop, like thinking about the person who's ordering coffee. So it's just a good way to cultivate compassion in yourself. And uh, yeah, it's, it's like one of my that. favorites. Yeah. Yeah. I like just even the mantra, just like me. Because it'll mm-hmm. remind you of those things. Like the connection. How do yeah. I see the, what does Tom Shady X say? You know, God in a myriad of his disguises. That's mm-hmm. who everyone around you is. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it. Just like me. Just like mm-hmm. me. Okay, okay. What about you? <laughs> my, my magic trick today is to, if you couldn't have got it from our episode already, I'm just going to remind you at the end of our show here to try out your human design 
strategy for one week, just a strategy. If nothing else, you allow it to sink in or, you know, there's a lot as we talked about on the show today. So just a strategy. So get your human design chart, look at what your strategy is and try it out for one week. And I'm going to remind you right now of the strategies for each of each type. So generators who have an open and enveloping aura and need to learn about themselves. Generators, your strategy is to respond. And through response, to find satisfaction and avoid frustration. Projectors. Projectors have a focused and absorbing aura and need to learn about and understand the other. Projectors, your strategy is to wait for the invitation to find success and avoid bitterness. And then manifestors have a closed and repelling aura and are here to understand their impact on others. Manifestors, your strategy is to inform before they act to find peace and avoid anger. Reflectors have a resistant and sampling aura and are learning to reflect rather than identify. Reflectors, your strategy is to wait a full cycle of the moon before making decisions. Oh, that's hard. And to find clarity, leading to a life of more surprise and less disappointment. So, just for the week, guys, try out your human design strategy. See how yeah, and you can also ask yourself, why do I feel resistant to using my strategy or my authority? You can also ask yourself that because there's um, probably that's, some... That's big time. I definitely yeah. immediately... I mean, I burst into tears, not because I was like... Not just because I was like, oh, I need I need to do this, but because I was like, all this time. basically I had all this resistance come up that was literally painful to think that I've been making things happen and pushing things to happen when I should just be waiting for the invitation. And like we said in the beginning, this isn't like meant to be rigid or to like put yourself so much in the box, but it is a way to practice self-acceptance when you look at, okay, this is, this is just how I am by design instead of disliking that part about yourself. Um, yeah. Cause if, if it, that comes up for you, it does get rigid when we're trying to like label ourselves and say, I am a projector and that type of thing. But it also can be really helpful if you use it with that in mind, that this is an experiment. Mm-hmm. So try and just a on. practice of, of self-acceptance too. Yeah. Be um, easy with yourself. Yeah. All right, Magic Mobbers. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey with us. If this episode held some magic for you, please share it with your friends and family. This would mean so much to us. And don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at The Magic Hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been so far. We appreciate all of your feedback and want to know what's lighting you up. Yes, guys, we really, really do. Please send us that review. It means the world to us. And you know that we release a new episode every Monday, so you can catch us again next week or go listen to some of our past episodes in our podcast library now. We'll meet you there. Until then, be light. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals, so following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always always do your own research tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers come on guys you know you know the deal and by the way if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it please find somewhere to contact us contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know a major goal of ours in doing this podcast is 
bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, healthiest selves.